0: This episode is brought to you by Genealogy Bargains. Has genealogy gotten too expensive? Ever wish you could find coupons for sites like Ancestry.com, Shop Family Tree, and more? Want the inside track on saving money while researching your roots? Our ancestors knew how to squeeze a penny, and you can learn how too, by visiting the Genealogy Bargains website. Check out GenealogyBargains.com for the latest promo codes and coupons for featured genealogy and family history items. Welcome to the Family Tree Magazine podcast, the show from America's number one genealogy magazine. I'm your host, Lisa Louise Cook. Our theme for this November 2016 episode is stepping into your ancestors' shoes. We'll start over at the Genealogy Insider blog where managing editor Diane Haddad will give us her ideas for how to learn what your ancestors' life was really like. In the top tips segment, contributing editor Sonny Morton will help you step into your ancestors' shoes and stroll through their neighborhood with tips from her new article. It's called Here Comes the Neighborhood. Then in our 101 Best Websites segment, we're going to visit with the sponsor of this episode, the website GenealogyBargains.com. In the Family Tree University Crash Course segment, instructor Shannon Combs-Bennett will help us learn more about our ancestors' world by using the American Memory Collection at the Library of Congress. And then we'll wrap things up at the publisher's desk with Allison Dolan, who will be sharing some of her favorite social history subjects from the ebook The Best of History Matters. There's a lot to cover, so let's get to it. Our first stop is the genealogy blogosphere with Diane Haddad. In this November 2016 episode of the Family Tree Magazine podcast, we are talking about how to step into your ancestors' shoes. And uh, let's talk more about that with the Genealogy Insider, Diane Haddad. Hi, Diane. Hello. Uh, I saw that you were you posted a blog post just the other day, which is perfect for our theme. Your post was called, How to Learn What Your Ancestor's Life Was Really Like. Tell us about that.
1: Well, first of all... Um- that's my favorite thing to do is to find the details of everyday life. I think even more so than like going back and going back and finding out how early you can get just because that's what makes it so interesting to me. And I think to a lot of people who are listening. Um, And then it also helps improve your research. One thing that I've discovered as I've been researching my German family in Cincinnati is that um, there was this mass migration from the same part of Germany to this part of the country. And if that's something that you research and you learn about that and you don't know where your German family is from, you can think, well, maybe they came from that same area you know, along with their countrymen. So it can kind of help you form theories and figure out why your ancestors did what you did, and then they did what they did, and then maybe help you find additional records.
0: Yeah, it's a great point. And I'm with you. I I actually love spending a lot of time in in just the more recent generations really digging into the the whole history and their lives. Mm -hmm. And you talk about going beyond basic records and visiting the places and researching the buildings. What was the example that you gave in the post?
1: Well, for um, going beyond basic records, um, there are really interesting details you can get when you look beyond um, you know, your basic census records and vital records. One example is in the estate inventory of my great-great-grandfather. It actually lists like, what was in his home at the time that he died in 1923. So that kind of gives you a picture of, you can think about what it looked like. And there's also going back earlier, a non-population census, um, an industrial schedule, which for um, certain manufacturing businesses, it would show details about um, how much money they made, how many employees and how much they paid. So you just kind of get some more information about what their business was. And if... You know, even if you don't find your ancestor in an industrial schedule like that, you might be able to find the business where they worked, and then you know how much they made every day.
0: Yeah, absolutely. In looking through this household
1: of goods, I lo- they got it down to the bric-a-brac. Yeah, I had record. to look up some things. <laughs> a chiffonier.
0: A chiffonier. I know. I was just looking at that. It's like a like a wardrobe, right? It's like a piece of furniture yeah. wardrobe. Yeah. See, that's, it's fascinating. It really expands our thinking and to realize that they, they lived with less, right? And that they valued mm-hmm. all of these individual items and list them out like that. Absolutely. Yeah. And you talk at the end about gathering relatives' memories. I'd love yeah. to have you share kind of
1: what you were referring to with that. So one of my grandma has passed away, but one of the things that I would do is go visit her and um, just show her some of the old pictures that were on my phone. And she'd say, oh, that's so-and-so. And she'd start telling stories about some of the pictures. There was one where she was standing in the backyard with her siblings. And she remembered that was the neighbor's backyard because they had a better backdrop for taking pictures. And wow. she was wearing the one dress she had that was not some kind of hand-me-down. And she was so proud of that dress.
0: Mm-hmm. How, and how interesting. See, we would have assumed that was their yard, but it wasn't. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, you're going to, you guys are going to love this blog post. It, again, it's called How to Learn What Your Ancestor's Life Was Really Like. And I'll have a link to it. This was published in, well, it looks like you did it right at the end of, or probably around yesterday, the no- November 1st, yes, the November. November post. So it's in the November list. Uh, and, and what's really cool is you can always go to the Genealogy Insider blog <laughs> and look over in the left-hand column and, and see all of the blog posts cataloged by Month. So you can just click on a month and even topics. So there's always ways to find what you're looking for. Thank you so much, Diane. This is a wonderful post.
1: You're welcome. Thank you. One of the
0: best ways I can think of to step into your ancestors' shoes is to stroll through their neighborhood. And in her new article, it's called Here Comes the Neighborhood. Contributing editor Sunny Morton shows us how we can do just that. Welcome back to this
2: podcast, my dear friend. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here, especially to talk about this article, which was so much fun, (laughs) right? Absolutely. Okay, now,
0: you kick this article off by saying that we can use old records, maps, and photos to recreate the place our family called home and open a window into their lives. So tell us a bit more about what you mean by open a window to their lives.
2: Well, the image that comes to me is literally that. It's literally, I wish I could walk up my ancestor's street, walk up the driveway, walk up to the front door and then go a little to the left and open their window and look in. <laughs> that's, yeah, That's what I would like to do. And using these neighborhood sources so that I know where the street is and what it looked like and what it would have been like. Was there a driveway even? Or what What was it an urban setting? Was it rural? What did they see when they looked out that window? Did they even have a window? Those kinds of things. Were they on the 50th floor? <laughs> All these questions about, what their daily lives were like. There's so much that you can learn by getting really, really local with your sources and looking closely at the view they saw out their windows.
0: Exactly. And it really can change your perspective. I, I know I'm always visualizing my ancestors and their lives as I'm researching them in my mind. But I, I think of when, the day I discovered that the, the great earthquake of San Francisco, 1906, actually it was like at five o'clock in the morning, all of a sudden, these people that I had in Victorian dress in my head are now in their jammies, you know,
2: <laughs> right? <So laughs> they're not strolling down the street with their little perambulators anymore. Exactly. They're being jolted of their beds. Exactly. Right? So visualizing.
0: And can we really find you talk about photos, and you talk about maps, these visual items that we can use? Um, how do we find these? And how do we use them to do this?
2: Well, I think the first key is really to know what you're looking for. Well, I want to find my ancestor's address. So, well, what does that really mean? In 1860, an ancestor's address might have just been the name of a, of a town and state. And that's all that would have appeared on a letter being sent to them. But in 1960, you're going to get a street number and you're going to get a zip code. And so addresses themselves, what they encompassed, the level of detail changed over time. Because honestly, and it, to me, it all goes back to this is this is a horrible site, this is a source to site because it's it's clearly fictional. But if you watch any old time movie of a visitor coming to a small village, In the 1800s or the 1700s, do they go straight to a place they've never been before? No. They stop in the middle of town or they stop a stranger along this road and they ask where somebody lives. Like even if you just see them, ask for directions and the person points them that way. Mm -hmm. That's what they did. That's how people got there in the past. And so when you're looking in old records, you may not find any sort of reference to a kind of street address until around the turn of the century when... The cities in the United States, particularly, is where the research I've done really finally started finalizing their street addresses because they suddenly had home mail delivery and the mailmen right. didn't know where to take anything, <laughs> so everything was a mess and they needed standardized numbering systems. So you finally start to get them doing these standardized numbering systems. So I think the first thing to know is to be realistic about the kind of information you're looking for. And you're like, wait a minute. So I'm actually not really looking for an address per se. I'm looking for a deed description Mm -hmm. because a deed description will send me to the right geography on a map. It will tell me a plot number or a lot number. It will tell me a a tract number. It will tell me whatever it is that will let me get to where I want to be. So I talk about starting with your addresses and whatever you see in the census, because there's some really good clues about finding addresses in census records. And then I talk about getting into these deed descriptions and looking at old deeds, which aren't really easy to find online. I give you some tips in the article on how to do deed research, but really you want to try to get into these deeds so that you can get a better description of what an ancestor's property, like where it was, so you can get to it.
0: Exactly. Now, once you've kind of located that, then you can turn to maps, right? You gave some examples of of Sanborn fire maps, which I love and a couple of other great websites to turn to. Can you tell us a little bit more about that?
2: I sure can. Um, I'm a little intimidated because I'm talking to the map expert here. (laughs) (laughs) You're like the historical maps queen here. But I've learned a lot from you and I've learned a lot on my own. So I'll tell you a few things about maps. Um, I actually started out my own professional life working in a county map room, which taught me a lot about the kinds of maps that are available locally. So when I did this little study here, I actually went for the very local maps that you would find in a town office or in a county office. So those you're not going to find on websites. If you can get to that local of a level to find plat maps, the original maps that would have been filed when that particular area was developed, you're going to get a lot better detail for that neighborhood. But then you are, you know, if you find those, that's awesome. And if you do find them, you're going to want to use them along with these um, sandborn maps that I talk about in this particular article. And that's where we start to get to these websites. So the Library of Congress has a fantastic collection of Sanborn maps, which are semi-urban. I kind of think of them as semi-urban and urban. So, Mm -hmm. any town or city in the United States and in Canada and parts of Mexico, starting in the late 1800s, clear through the early 1900s, had these wonderful, full-colored, detailed, neighborhood-level maps made that show all the things that you want to know, and that sh- I, I show a sample of one of those in this neighborhood study in this article, and they're they're so detailed and they're so much fun. And especially if you compare one year after another, how did the neighborhood change? What burned down? What got built in its place? Who sold off part of their lot to the local Catholic church or to a business that started? Um, what kinds? You know, there was oh, there was an opera house within two blocks of this little immigrant community's home. like I, It would, never occurred to me. There were five bars, but they, were, they had right. an opera house, too. So they were cultured. So, you know, you learn a lot with by looking at these Sanborn maps and going through them year by year. And so many of them you can get online at the Library of Congress. There's also the the quintessential historical maps reference, of course, is the David Rumsey historical maps website. And the link for that is in the article, too. So and then you've showed me some great tips for using Google Books to to find the maps you want that were published in old map books. So those are wonderful. And you can use Google Books. You can find things at Haiti Trust Digital Library or at Internet Archive. There's some wonderful old single maps that appear in old history and atlas types of books.
0: Yeah, that's so true. And of course, with Google Books, you know, prior to 1923, they tend to be in the public domain. So they're digitized. I love using you get into an old book, and then just hit that thumbnail button, and it will let you see all the pages or a good number of the pages all at once. And you can just spot those maps, those unique maps they may have drawn to illustrate the time that they're talking about, um, also newspapers. Uh, isn't it interesting how when they would report on, let's say, you know, military conflicts or, you know, a disaster that happened in a neighborhood, they would literally draw out a map and try to, you know, draw it all on there and include it right there on the ho- on the front page, which is, I love those one of a kind kinds of maps that really tell that story. And I love the way you pull together in this article, some of the final pages in the article is you have in the background, the Sanborn insurance map, which of course, the Sanborn company was trying to document what it was they were insuring. So that's really great detail. And you've overlaid some some pictures, uh, old postcards and documents. And I think you could just frame this and put this on your wall. It'd be fascinating.
2: I won't lie. I've been tempted. Yeah. (laughs) I love this. I actually sketched this out for their design editor at the magazine. And I said, I don't know if you can do this, but this is what's in my mind for how to communicate this. Because to me, this article is really about how you put it all together. We don't just have text sources or document sources. We don't just have maps we go back and forth between them they teach us things about the other one and then we go back and and learn more so I think it's so important to put them all together as best you can I'm a visual person so for me it's all the story all comes together visually Um, if I were any more talented I would build a little 3D diorama of this (laughs) this neighborhood because because there's so much that I've learned and in my mind it really is three-dimensional in my mind I can tell you exactly how many steps It was from this ancestor's front door to the around the corner to go to mass and then 50 steps further for him to go to work after that and, you know, hitch up his horses to the fire wagon Mm -hmm. and go save people from burning buildings. I mean, it just it's very vivid to me because I have put together the document sources with the text sources with the visual sources to see the total story unfold.
0: And that's what it all ultimately leads to doesn't it? It's right. I know your sweet spot, which is story, getting that story together, not only to help to reveal to us the research that we're working on and see it in a story format, but then to share it. I, I love this as a, as a way of doing storytelling. Is that kind of what you were shooting for?
2: Yeah, I really do, because that's that's how the story came together, mm-hmm. and I've gotten so much neat feedback already from readers that I know and readers that I meet out at conferences who say, oh, that article, I love that article, it just taught me so much about, it just gave me this vision about how I should be putting everything together and how I can tell the story that I sort of see there, and I can flesh it out a little bit more with these maps and then put it all together.
0: Yep. And, and Sunny shares some wonderful stories of her own from her own family history and how she illustrates them in, in this unique way. This article that, she, that we're talking about, it's in the October, November 2016 issue of Family Tree Magazine. It's called Here Comes the Neighborhood. And thank you for joining us here at our neighborhood, Sunny Morton. Thank you. You're welcome. As I mentioned at the top of the show, this episode is sponsored by GenealogyBargains.com. And saving money is something all genealogists do care about. Well, I've invited Thomas McEntee to join me to talk a little bit more about how the website can help you do just that. Welcome to the podcast, Thomas.
3: Thanks, Lisa.
0: Hey, Thomas, once somebody gets started researching their family history, they find out that there are a lot of things to spend money on. Does genealogy really have to be so expensive?
3: It does, and I think the challenge is we're just blessed with so many options now, you know, a DNA test, and then you can create photo books based on your research, and I think that really is a blessing. We have all those options, but it really can add up. I think what you have to do is you need to be a smart shopper. I remember my mother in double coupon day going to the grocery store. (laughs) I mean, the thing is, she was the coupon queen of the 70s, but the thing is, you have to make a little bit of an effort, and it's sort of conditioning yourself to stop before you hit that add to cart and checkout button to say, hey, wait, is there a promo code or a coupon I should be using?
0: Exactly. Well, what do you think are the best ways to save money on genealogy and yet still achieve really great results?
3: Well, number one is I think you've got to avoid the impulse buy. Keep in mind that a lot of things eventually go on sale or at two in the morning, do you really need that book on German genealogy? Wait a few hours. And the other thing is I found, and here's a trick, is with a lot of vendors, if you have an account, you put something in your shopping cart, and you log out, they think that you forgot to buy it, and they'll send you a coupon via email, well, usually within one or two days. So, so the thing is that whole idea of conditioning yourself, saying, hey, uh, it's not instant gratification. I don't need it right now. Let's see. Is something going to come and be discounted?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I know you're a really frugal guy. And uh, I love the tip about putting things in the cart because it's so true. They will send you kind of come back. Do you have other money-saving tips as we head into the holiday season?
3: Yeah. Well, first of all, I do want to urge also take advantage of your public library. Your library usually has access to a lot of the subscription sites. So if it is a problem for you to have all the subscription sites like the Ancestry.com and MyHeritage and that, check your local library. But if you really, there are certain things that you need at home to access. Uh, the one thing that's coming up is wait for Black Friday, which is usually the Friday after Thanksgiving or Cyber Monday, that following Monday. I hear, and it's more than just rumor, that a lot of the DNA tests will go on sale. And not just go on sale, free shipping. Look for free shipping. And I can tell you, Lisa, this year, what my research shows on shopping is that all these deals are going to go away by the beginning of December, especially the free shipping. You know, So you really have to look towards being ready uh, then. Leave the item in your cart. Also, when you do a renewal for a subscription, call them. Don't just automatically renew. Tell them, is there a discount? They all have these marketing scripts that they pull out and they say, hey, we have an offer for 30% off today. What's the worst they can say, Lisa? They could say no, right? I mean exactly. that's what – that's, that's what mom always said. You've got to ask. If you're going to find something out and see if there's a deal, there's no harm. It's not like you're haggling. It's just you're saying, hey, I do it with the cable company when I'm renewing my contract. I do it with my cell phone company. You should be doing the same thing with genealogy vendors.
0: Oh, Absolutely. You know, Thomas is really sharing some excellent money saving ideas with us. And if you want to save money on your genealogy research, you are going to love genealogy com. Thanks so much, Thomas, for sharing your knowledge and this great website. Thank you. In this Family Tree University Crash Course segment, we're going to take a closer look at the American Memory Project. Now, that's a website archive. It's published by the Library of Congress, and it includes historical public domain image resources, audio, video, and archived web content. And that makes it a wonderful resource for genealogists. Now, in her half-hour video class called Using the American Memory Collection, Shannon Combs Bennett shows you how to sift through the Library of Congress's American Memory Collection website and really discover this vast array of all kinds of wonderful resources ideal for genealogy, particularly U.S. genealogy research. And here today is Shannon. She's going to be here to tell us more about how to find some of these great items. Welcome back to the podcast, Shannon. Shannon.
4: Hi, thanks for having me, Lisa. It's great to be here again.
0: Oh, and it's great to be talking about one of my favorite websites. I know it's one of yours, too. And yes, the yes. American Memory Project. Um, tell us a little bit of just about the background of this site and a little more specifically about what we might find.
4: Sure. So the American Memory Collection is off of the Library of Congress website. And it is a multimedia destination. There's digitized items, there's audio, there's, there's visual items, so many things. It primarily focuses on unique or rare items from the library. And it has over 100 collections that you can go through. So you can find a little bit of everything and anything at this website.
0: Exactly. I I know some of the people who listen also to my genealogy gems show will know that way back when I first started the show, uh, I was trying to identify some old songs that my grandfather had talked about and some that my uh, husband's grandfather had played and I could go to American Memory, put in the song title, and find some of the original sheet music, you know, with the beautiful Art Deco covers and all that kind of stuff. And it just really kind of brought it to life and made it a little bit more real. What kinds of things do you find and that maybe people should keep their eye out for?
4: Oh, gosh. Well, I'm big on social history research, and I feel that this website helps fill in the holes for your family history. So you can find a little bit of everything, like I said before. I mean, you can find advertising bills for from large papers. You can find maps, panoramic as well as paper maps. You can find slave narratives, which I know a lot of people who do African American research to actually not only read transcripts, but hear a person who had lived through slavery speak about their experiences it can be very moving. You can find information on war and military. Uh, one of the neatest things I found recently was, an. Yeah architectural website off of here, where you can find the blueprints, layouts, and the history behind some of the major buildings built in the United States in the 20th century. So I mean, wow. I you, you can literally go on and on and on about it. <laughs>
0: well, and that kind of really plays into our theme for this episode, which, which is stepping into your ancestor's shoes, going back in time and kind of really seeing things the way they saw it. And I think that's one of the beauties of this site is it it is so visual and it does help. And although, you like like you said, there's audio as well. But it really helps you just go back to that era and see it in context. I know in the video class that you give some great strategies for digging into the website. What are some of your favorite tips? I know we only have a couple minutes on the show, but I'd love to have you share some of those.
4: Right. Well, what I think is really important is number one to remember, and I don't know if a lot of people, since they may not have searched the site before, it is actually in the middle of going. Over a total site overhaul, so you may find a site and then come back a couple of days later and find that it's gone. It's not really gone; right. <laughs> it just has a new place in life. <laughs> and so, it's important to use the search function that is at the top of the uh, American Memory collection. And that way, if you put in a, if you remember the title of this of the collection you're looking for, it'll take you right to it. So, I want to make sure the search button is fantastic. But the important thing is to remember that it um, it doesn't search all words. It only searches for titles or authors or subjects. So that's an important thing to remember. Um, the other thing is think about modern versus historical words in your research. And I, that might be a hard concept for some people because, you know, we we talk the way we talk. You might not realize that one word that we say nowadays may not mean something in the past. Mm-hmm. So variety in your search words and your search phrases is important when you're trying to find something historical. Um, gosh, what else? The other thing I would say is remember to not get bogged down with trying to find something specific. So the more general your search is, the more likely you're going to find something. So well, if you, yeah, if you put in very, very specific, it might get confused.
0: Well, exactly. Because and, and a lot of times, you know, we think about the people. So we're looking at names and dates and things. But it's just like Googling. You know, sometimes it's not focusing on the name of the person. But really, what was the event? Where was the location? What was the business? Something bigger that might be tagged. Is that kind of what you're saying is going for the the bigger items? Yeah.
4: Yes, exactly. And you know, it might bring up a few dozen extra websites or web pages for you to look at but I bet you they would all be well worthwhile. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, and I have to say one of the favorite things I like to do is I just go out if I have a general idea of something I'm looking for, and I'll just go to, they have a browse the collections by topic. And so I'll just go out to a topic and start browsing the collection names until something that sounds like it might, you know, just kind of hits me. Mm -hmm. And then I'll search that specific collection instead of the entire website.
0: You know, and sometimes doing that just browsing, it kind of opens up a whole nother world, something you're meant to stumble into, that you didn't know you needed to know, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And of course, when in doubt, we can always use that ask an archivist or librarian link, they are really helpful. And they'll reply to you, right? And they'll they'll assist you.
4: Oh, very quickly, very very quickly. I've never had a problem with that. I've used it several times. I'm not ashamed to say. Um, when I get really stuck, or I just have a question, or I don't understand what what something means or what something is, um, I'll I'll simply send a you know a message to them, and usually within a few hours, if not by the next day, I'll get a reply back. So very quick turnaround. Ah, oh, see, it's a
0: fabulous resource, and it, it this is, we're talking about American Memory over the Library of Congress. It's at memory. Dot .loc.gov. Dot and of course you can always google it. Great ideas and wow, we're, now we're all excited because we have to go look for some some cool stuff to add context to our ancestors' lives. Thank you so much, Shannon. Oh, you're very welcome. As we wrap up this November 2016 episode devoted to stepping into your ancestors' shoes, we're going to head over to the publisher's desk because Allison Dolan has a really neat way to go back in time to learn more about our ancestors' lives. Hi, Allison. Hi, Lisa. Um, Allison, you sent me this really cool ebook, and it is the best of History Matters. Tell everybody what this is and where it comes from.
5: Absolutely. So. History Matters is a column that runs in Family Tree Magazine, and it's actually one of my favorite columns because it delves into all of the innovations and trends from history that would have affected your ancestors' lives. Um, for those of us who are history buffs, and I think that's probably most of us, all of that trivia is really intriguing, and especially when you can put it in context of how things were different today versus yesterday. And so, this ebook basically takes some of our favorite History Matters columns and pulls them together into an ebook so you have all of that information at your fingertips.
0: Yeah, and I love it. There's um kind of a table of contents thing there where it's a, it's a list of bookmarks you can jump to the different sections. The first one that you run into is recounting history, which seems pretty relevant to November of 2016 because we are in a presidential election time and there is the picture of one of the first voting booths that came out in 1890. I'm I'm interested to know what's one of your favorite items in here.
5: Oh, so I think my all-time favorite from my experience working on it is actually the column on deodorant. (laughs) Um, It was really fascinating to understand how people dealt with uh, body odor in the past. And I think the most interesting thing that I learned from that process was the fact that basically deodorant wasn't anything that anyone cared about. And how you smelled wasn't an issue until advertisers started to tell people that it mattered. And then, as the product sales increased, society uh, and the advertising increased, society shifted so that all of a sudden this became more important to us. Like as a resident of the 21st century, I'm glad that deodorant exists, <laughs> but I. I think that if this phenomenon hadn't occurred, you know, maybe all of our feelings about this subject would be different today. Yeah, it's yeah. it's funny because
0: um, when you think back, you always read the stories about, you know, Saturday night was bath night. So, you know, they weren't bathing every single day. I can almost imagine that the the closer contact that people got into in, in cramped cities during the industrial age maybe that has something to do with it. i don't know but i was surprised you look at this picture on the on the front of that particular article and here's banned deodorant but it's in a cream can you imagine having to rub that stuff on yourself with your fingers yeah yeah yeah. or um i i love this picture i don't know where you find these things odo odo ro no ends perspiration annoyance
5: (laughs) i love these Ah. things that was another fun part of this particular column. was We actually went out in, on eBay and bought authentic historical deodorants to photograph for the story. Oh, it was fantastic.
0: <laughs> oh, my gosh. Now, so that was uh, you got deodorant, shaving, dental history. Uh, any others that, that
5: particularly jumped out at you? Yeah, um, I liked the aluminum cans investigation uh, into that history. Part of what I liked about it was it actually sort of tracks the development of how beer was packaged and distributed because, you know, beer was actually a really big industry, particularly for – I have German ancestors, so that's a a topic that's very near and dear to their hearts. But how the different kinds of cans developed, um, the introduction of those tabs on the top of the cans – And how the cans were designed, it was all really fascinating to me. I I also love those ads for the different kinds of beer cans. Those were really fun to look through. And of course, there's also Coca-Cola, which was a huge pioneer in packaging of beverages. And so there's some fun history there about Coca-Cola too.
0: Yeah, I remember when my dad would pull the tap off the beer can, Us kids would always be like, oh, I want that because we'd pretend that was a ring, you know, put that in your finger. It's a ring, right? (laughs) And it's funny because the timeline here shows beer in it was first sold in cans in 1935, which totally explains why my great grandfather in several pictures is uh, sitting around a big old (laughs) keg with his beer steins in 1910 because they didn't have them yet. So see,
5: it's also
0: relevant. Yes, it is. Awesome. Well, I I have to say that one of the ones that really jumped out at me that I loved was roller skates. And of course, that makes kind of sense. We're talking about stepping into our ancestors' shoes. Well, maybe we could step back into their roller skates. My grandparents met at a roller skating rink. I remember that. My grandpa told me that when I interviewed him. So yeah, kind of fun to see how far back they go. Oh my gosh. First patent back in
5: 1819
0: crazy.
5: (laughs) Yeah, isn't it crazy how you know, we think about our ancestors, a lot of times we don't necessarily consider what they did for fun. And this is a great example. You know, we all have to find ways to have fun. And you know, I used to love going roller skating. When I was a kid, it never occurred to me that my ancestors back in the 1800s might have been doing the same thing. I know. It's so fun. It really makes us feel all those connections and uh,
0: see how many of them there really are. This is so much fun. This is called The Best of History Matters. And uh, we'll have a link to it in our show notes. Thanks so much, Allison. We'll talk to you next
5: month. All right. Thanks, Lisa.
0: for joining me for this November 2016 episode of the Family Tree Magazine podcast. It's the monthly show from America's number one genealogy magazine. And you can head to familytremagazine.com slash podcast to find the show notes for this episode. And those will include all the information and web links that we covered in today's show. Thanks again for joining me. I'm Lisa Louise Cook, and I invite you to visit me at my website, genealogygems.com, where you can listen to my free podcast, The Genealogy Gems Podcast, which is also available for free through iTunes and through our Genealogy Gems app in your app store. Until next time, have fun climbing your family tree. Thank you to our sponsor for this episode, Genealogy Bargains. Join the thousands of genealogists who've saved 70% or more on books, CDs, webinars, subscription websites, and gift items. Genealogy Bargains features exclusive inside deals negotiated with vendors just for you. Check out genealogybargains.com for the latest promo codes and coupons for featured genealogy and family history items.